You're listening to the British Ballers, a fantasy football astronauts podcast. Before we begin the show today, we want to give a big shout out to our sponsor, Expand the Box Score the number one sports statistics database on the internet. Expand the Box Score provides all the advanced data, stats, and production metrics to give you the edge in fantasy, dynasty, and DFS. We highly recommend heading over to expandtheboxscore.com and signing up today. Use our promo code ASTRO10 for a 10% discount on the subscription, making this an absolute steal. We'll now begin the show. Welcome to another episode of the British Ballers podcast. I'm your host, Rich. You can follow me on Twitter at FFMiz1. Uh, with me today, as always, is my co-host, Kev. You can follow him on Twitter at Dynasty underscore Go. Kev, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. How's it going? Yep, feeling really good. Uh, Scott Fishbowl is around the corner. It's my my first Scott Fishbowl, so... Looking forward to that. It actually starts on my birthday as well, but nobody wants to hear about me turning 33. Uh, we've got an awesome show today. Fantastic guest. He's a guy with plenty of football knowledge, and he's from one of our favourite podcasts. Um, there is a downside that he's a Cowboys fan, but I'm still super excited to have him on, and uh, we've got a, an epic show today. Yes, indeed. So our special guest today is Dan Lemagna of the Dynasty Theory Fantasy Football Show. You can follow them on Twitter at Dynasty Theory FF and you can follow Dan at FFCOACH. Dan, Dan, welcome to the show. Absolute pleasure to be here, guys. You're making waves in the United States. We love listening to your show as well. And uh, I'm excited. Scott Fishbowl season, like Kev said, and uh you know, Kev White, that name's legendary, as we were ta- talking before the show. Uh, the, the, the Kevin White that played in the NFL went to the college that I worked at, and I, you know, I got to coach him and his brothers, and uh, so it's pretty cool. But love what you guys are doing. Great to be here. Awesome. Thank you. Um, I think it shows we're making waves when we can get the, uh, the John Cena doppelganger on the British Ballers show. <laughs> Love it. Uh, so today we're going to be looking at, we, we've really dug into the depths today as this off-season seems to go on and on and on. Today we're going to be looking at uh, Dynasty Sleepers. So these are players outside of the top 100 on Dynasty ADP who uh, Dan and ourselves believe that you should be targeting in your Dynasty startups or potentially in trades as the off-season goes on. Um, so we'll jump right into it, Dan, and we're going to start in the NFC with the NFC North. Um, is there any uh, sleepers in there that you're particularly targeting this offseason? Yeah, I'm looking at the North there. You know, if I'm fading the big three tight ends in, uh, in dynasty drafts, there's a guy named Irv Smith who is just super young for the Minnesota Vikings. Uh, he's a you know core target player. Was he 22 years old? I believe. Irv super young. NFL pedigree. His dad played in the NFL. And you know, I hear they're they're going to use Irv like a wide receiver. And anytime I think you hear you know they're going to use a tight end like a wide receiver in PPR scoring, they have his pedigree. You know he's out of Alabama. 
I think he takes the next step in his second season. The Vikings need everyone to step up to replace Stephon Diggs. You know, I think they drafted a, a nice, young, talented receiver in Jefferson out of LSU, but he's still young and there's a learning curve. So, I, you know, I think Smith is going to get a lot more targets than people think, and he's a nice sleeper and he's very young. Yeah, um, I think I'm certainly in, in agreement on this one. Um, but Kev, we'll come to you first on this, I think, because I know that you're a big fan of Irv Smith as well. Yeah, I'm fully on board with this selection. Uh, as a rookie, he had one less target than Kyle Rudolph, um, who was obviously a veteran at that, at that club. Um, and, and as John mentioned, that uh, as Dan mentioned, sorry, I call him John, like John Cena then. Appreciate it, Kev. Meant to, honestly. Um, but yeah, just... I think there's a lot of vacated targets there with Stefan Diggs gone over 100 vacated targets and I don't expect them all to go to Justin Jefferson. Uh, there is an out in Kyle Rudolph's contract as well after this season so we can see there's a clear path to be a full-time starter um, next season. So yeah, Irv Smith's 100% a dynasty sleeper for me. Yeah, so I mean, the only concern for me will be, and it, and it is only a very little concern, it's only a slight concern, and he's certainly someone that I've been targeting as well. But my only issue potentially with him breaking out this year is obviously, as, as you've, you guys have mentioned, they've, they've drafted Justin Jefferson, and Irv Smith played a lot in the slot last year when, when he did get on the field. Um, obviously, Justin Jefferson was successful in the slot for LSU. Um, do you worry at all that Jefferson could could take away some of those targets in the slot, which which affects uh, Smith potentially having a breakout? I think there's there's a lot of targets to go around to replace mm. Diggs right now. Uh, I th think the Vikings will use a lot of twelve personnel, so you'll see those two tight ends on yeah. the field a lot. Um, you know, to your point of your concern, it's a good one, Rich. You know, I think if I wouldn't put all my eggs in the basket on Irv Smith to win this year, I'm a win now kind of guy in Dynasty. You know, I try to get a tier one tight end to kind of anchor my team. If not, if I am faded and I look to Irv Smith, I'm looking to get a couple other guys in that Irv Smith range. I just think his upside is so high and he's in a real good situation. I think he's just going to rise every single year. So there is some concern to your point, but I have no, you know, trepidation in taking him. It seems like every draft that I have taken him this offseason – there's someone, you know, paying a nice compliment in the league ch chat or saying, yeah. oh, you sniped me. I wish I had him. I, they, they were just sitting on him too long. So I feel good about that also. Yeah, I mean, and to be fair, it is only a very minor concern. I think, um, obviously, so as a rookie, he had 36 receptions, 47 targets, 311 yards and two touchdowns. That's pretty respectable for a rookie tight end coming into the league. I agree with you, Dan. I think he will, his opportunities and his production will increase each year. Um, uh, to be fair, though, I think I don't think we'll see a huge breakout from Herb Smith this year. But in Dynasty, I think that could potentially help, as I think his value for now will probably stay um, around where it is this year. So at the minute, on my fantasy league, he's going as the 13th tight end off the board, um, and I'm assuming you both agree that that you would be happy to take him at that price. Yeah, for me, that's a fair price for him. We, we know the breakout's going to come. It might be a little bit too early this year, but next year I can totally see that with the clip after to uh, playing time. Yeah, I'm, I think we're all in agreement on that one. Let's see if we can keep it going. Because <laughs> usually I just disagree with Kev for the, just because it's funny, really. But <laughs> <laughs> So if we move then on to down the uh, NFC North, is there anyone, uh, NFC North, ignore me, NFC East even, is there anyone in the NFC East that you're targeting this offseason? NFC East... As much as a Cowboys fan as I am, there's some, guy, there's some guys on the Redskins that really intrigue me. 
you know, late round ADP, I guess that, you know, the guy I would select first would be Steven Sims. Mm. Uh, you well, know, if you listen, to, if you listen to my – podcast you know john and mitch are more analytical guys you know they, they're pulling stats out of everywhere i like <laughs> I, I like watching the film i'm a film guy and you know watching the redskins late last year and he kind of you know broke out and had some nice fantasy games yeah. late he really passed the eye test and i, I predict he secures us the slot position in washington uh, like him a lot more than trey quinn again he fl- flashed late last in the season and i've been reading that he's having a very good off season you know, I think that came from Terry McLaurin there saying, hey, watch this guy. Yeah. So, you know, if, if the film looks good and then you're kind of concerned, all right, was it just a little flash in the pan because it's a small sample size? Uh, he's looking good again this offseason. And Washington, they need targets. And I think with Coach Rivera, they're a team that's at least trending in the right direction. Yeah, I um, again, I'm going to totally agree with you. So, unfortunately, I'm more, I'm more like John. I think I'm more of a stats guy than, than Phil, most definitely. Um, but I will throw some stats in there because I think it supports you certainly on this one. So he played 70% of his snaps in the slot. You'd expect him to start there. Um, and it, it comes down to opportunity for me as well. Um, I mean, the only competition he's really got there is um, Antonio Gandhi-Golden, who they drafted this year, who I'm not at all convinced by at the NFL level, and then Kelvin Harmon. So I most certainly expect him to start in the slot. Um, he was the wide receiver 66 last year as a rookie, so he had 34 receptions, 56 targets, 310 yards for four touchdowns. As well as that, he also had nine rushing attempts for 85 yards and a touchdown. He's also been used as a return specialist, so I always like to look at that, especially when I'm looking at sleepers, his players that have that sort of versatility. So he's getting on the field in all sorts of different ways. Um, so I, I really love that. I think there's little target for competition. And according to ADP, he's currently going as the 87th wide receiver off the board. He was the wide receiver 66 last year. And I agree with you, Dan, that he's going to take a step up this year. And um, for me as well, Dwayne Haskins is seems to have been written off too soon, in my opinion. Um, and I think Dwayne Haskins could take a big step this year. Um, Kev, th- this is an interesting one for you. Um, I-, I do know that I, th- I think you do like Stephen Sims, but I know you d- you have had previous concerns with Dwayne Haskins. So, where would you sit on this one? Yeah, I, lo- I love Stephen Sims. Me, like uh, like Dan said, he flashed towards the end of last season. Um, now, obviously, this is a small sample size, but in the last four games, it was actually the wide receiver nine, which kind of shocked me. I didn't think it was that high. Mm. Um, so yeah, he had that mini breakout as such. I think what's good about Stephen Sims' price is the the addition of uh, Ron Rivera um, plus the drafting of Antonio Gibson, who's going to play sort of a hybrid role, yeah. and that keeps his price low uh, because I think Gibson's going to get similar sort of touches to Stephen Sims is the consensus. But whether that happens. Who knows, really, because he's a rookie and he's, he's not been on the NFL uh, field yet. Also, in this offense, there's no tight end uh, of note. So there's more to go around for the wide receivers. So well worth the investment for me in something like round 19 of, of your drafts. Yeah, um, I think that's another one we, we totally agree on. So the only, the only area there may be some debate, but from my perspective, that there isn't looking at these players. So if you look at the current ADP, um, the players that are going ahead of Stephen Sims are just directly ahead of him. You've got Hakeem Butler, um, Andy Isabella, Donovan Peoples-Jones, uh, Nelson Aguilar are all going ahead of him. <laughs> uh, 
Uh, I'm, I'm a big fan. Out of those guys, the only guy I really like is Andy Isabella, but I would still be taking Stephen Sims well ahead of him. Is there any of those players that you'd rather take uh, over Stephen Sims? I'd like to roll the dice and get Sims. And, and I think you know, here's probably, this is probably like the nugget of the show for your listeners, unless they're Washington fans and they, they're really, they watched Sims last <laughs> year. You're probably getting a, you know, Washington's wide receiver too. Yeah. very late. Like you yeah. said, Isabella is the only one in that crop that, you know, also has upside. Uh, but Sims, they're going to be trailing a lot, Washington, in that NFC East, and they're supposed to be high-scoring games. They're going to have to throw to somebody, and if he's getting six, seven, eight catches for 70, 80 yards and a touchdown in a lot of games, you're getting a lot of production for someone drafted this late. Yeah, I'm with you. I think the only one for you, Kev, you'll love Nelson Aguilar, so would... <laughs> um, that's not true. <laughs> <laughs> yeah um, so two in a row surely that oh I, th I think we might disagree on the uh, on the next one on the show sheet actually because I'm I'm a little bit torn so if you guys want to go to the NFC South and start with you Dan sure um, you know South there's there was a few guys I was looking at so this was a little tougher decision is you know, I was really impressed with the show notes you gave me you guys really put me to work here finding these deep sleepers <laughs> in each, each division and uh, you know I, I think I was just you know, staying on the tight end train here is spending a little bit more time looking at tight ends, you know, in these drafts because there's a lot of tough decisions. Yeah, yeah. But uh, Ian Thomas in Carolina, I just think Carolina is passing the torch to him by letting Greg Olson go to Seattle. You know, Greg Olson's, you know, had an incredible career, and I think he's still going to produce in Seattle, but he's at the end of his career. W again, watching film, I just love what I saw out of Ian Thomas, a young athletic tight end. I think it's going to be fun to watch in Coach Brady's system, you know, bringing that LSU offense to the NFL. Yeah. Uh, so I think there's a lot to see there. You know, I think, you know, he's going to be that guy over in the middle of the field. I think there's going to be a lot of targets and a lot of tight end production from him. So I'm on the Ian Thomas train, and I think it was like a 188 ADP there. Uh, that's a bargain to me. Yeah. Um, I mean, I've got some – I'll come to me last on this one. I have got some concerns. But to be fair, Dan, I think you've nailed it a little bit at the end there, that – even if there is some concerns on Ian Thomas, he's currently so cheap that it's still worth taking a dart throw late. Um, but I do have a few counter-arguments on Ian Thomas, even though I do have some shares of him. So I'm going to come to you first on this one, Kev. Yeah, I'm on board with this one, actually. Um, I think he has flashed potential in his limited play in the in his first two seasons. Um, and as Dan said, Olsen's now gone, so the volume's going to be more consistent. And I believe that Panthers offense will be throwing a ton this year with uh, with how bad their defense is going to be. Um, and even though there's McCaffrey and DJ Moore, etc., I still think there's going to be enough to go around to to make uh, make Thomas um, relevant in fantasy. Because realistically, if he catches sixty balls this season, that's that's success, and his his value is going to going to rocket. I think he's only twenty four as well. So yeah, um, third season in the NFL. Yeah, so. Um, so my, so I'm a little bit torn here, but it, a lot of this, to be fair, is baked into that ADP. So I, I would say that I'm in agreement that I certainly think is worth taking. So you look at his production going back to college. So he came out of the um, out of Indiana, fourth round of the draft in 2018. So he's coming into the third season in the NFL. I mean, we, I think we must have talked about this on every show that we've done. In the, for the British balls and it's, it's around the fantasy everyone in the fantasy community knows that a tight end doesn't come into the NFL and immediately produce apart from maybe one or two outliers you look at someone like Travis Kelsey and, and players like that who did produce um, right away 
Um, so the positives for him is going into his third season in the NFL. He's had time to acclimate. Obviously, Greg Olson's gone. So he's going to be the starting tight end for the Panthers. And um, with uh, Joe Brady coming in as the offensive coordinator, I expect him to play up in pace in 2020. I think the defence potentially could stink. Um, as you guys mentioned. So that's obviously going to give him a lot of opportunities. They're going to throw the ball a lot. Um, where I have some very minor concerns, so we look at his 2019 season, but again, the caveat is that uh, Greg Olson was there, but he played an average of 41 snaps, 41% uh, of the snaps on average. He had 16 receptions for 31 targets and one touchdown. I think he had, he had two games towards the end of the season where he did get a much bigger opportunity and if I remember rightly I think Greg Olson was out injured at the time so he had a huge game in week 14 last season where his snap share increased to a, a ridiculous 98% up from a 41% average and he ran 37 routes in that game and he blew up in that first opportunity but he also had the same sort of opportunity in week 15 so he had the same opportunity share and he had a 98% snap share ran 40 routes but only had two receptions for 23 yards some of that's probably a little bit harsh because um, as we said he's only in his second year in the NFL so you'd expect that so he's a little bit um, boom bust uh, my only other slight concern is he wasn't that productive in the passing game in college so that's um, a little bit of a concern at the back of my mind as well. But to be fair to you guys and what you've said, and I think you've really covered it, is that's probably baked into his ADP already. So his, his ADP currently is the 19th tight end coming off the board. So you're getting him as the 19th tight end off the board. And as you said, Dan, he's going to be the starting tight end in, a, in an offence that he's going to have to throw the ball a lot. So I think we'll find out this year whether Ian Thomas is legit. And they don't, they don't have anyone else on that tight end depth chart that's yeah. going to take reps in that passing game. I'm looking, you know, Seth, Seth the Valve and Chris Manhart are the other tight ends. Uh, so <laughs> yeah. when given the opportunity, uh, Ian has produced. And, you know, looking at, you know, sleepers, late ADP, you know, Hayden yeah. Hurst is in that range too, but there's a lot more hype around Hayden Hurst. He keeps creeping up in the draft. So yeah. I just think you're getting Ian Thomas at such a bargain. Yeah, I mean, Dan, are you a guy that targets? So I think you said that you'd usually try and take a top-tier tight end. So, I mean, for me, I'm quite the opposite. So th these are really great takes for me because I nearly always wait on tight end until the double-digit rounds. Um, I think you said that you you try and get a top-tier tight end if you can and then maybe handcuff um, probably an upside pick later on. Yeah, I mean, I'm not as... I know Mitch from Dynasty Theory, he's big on grabbing that tight end first, especially in the premium scoring. Uh, very often where I land, I'm, I'm missing out on Kelsey and Kittle. As much as, much as I love George Kittle, yeah. um, I, but I normally try to fall back. I'm very high on Mark Andrews. I was last year. I got him in last year's fishbowl, and, and that helped tremendously. Um, so I'm still – Mark Andrews is sliding here and there, but more often than not, Rich, I, I think I'm landing in uh, where you're at this year, and I'm not getting that tight end as much. But – you know, when I still look at like the top 12 tight ends, if I'm not getting them, if I could get a Darren Waller, Hunter Henry, Tyler Higby, Noah Fant, there's some other guys there that I really like that I'm trying to get one of them and then still fall back later on and get an Irv Smith, an Ian Thomas, a Dawson Knox. So I'm trying to really load up on tight end and have like three guys with potential. Yeah, and um, that's pretty much been my strategy um, most of this off season. Um, what, so what I'd ask you there then, you got, both you guys, just going off on a little bit of a tangent, because um, I know Kev's got a sleeper in the NFC South as well. Obviously, by this point, we all know the Scott Fishbowl scoring. How much importance are you placing on the, on the tight ends in your Scott Fishbowl draft? 
enough to make sure I don't neglect it. You know, every <laughs> once in a while you slide, you slide, you're hoping to get that guy and then, then you get sniped and then you end up with a real weak, you know, position tier. So uh, I'm going to make sure I don't sleep on it. I know it's got that uh, extra, I think, half a point for first downs and yeah. an extra half a point for catch. So there's definitely value there, but I'm not overpricing it either. You know, I'm, yeah. I'm 106 in the Scott Fishbowl, and that's going to be prime decision area whether, you know, do you take a Kelsey or a Kittle or yeah. do you still get a premier guy? And I'll probably – I don't, I don't want to give my strategy away here yet. I'm not, not going <laughs> to – I'll try to trick you into it. it. <laughs> Kev, you'll give us your strategy. Absolutely, yes. Yeah. So I'm at the one oh, <laughs> I'm at the one oh one, and oh, for me, this. for me, I think at at the two free turn, if if uh, Kittle or Kelsey, that's going to definitely um, be an option for me. I think it's slightly too early for Mark Andrews, mm. but then after those three, I'm probably going to punt the position and look to maybe take uh, three or four. Um, three or four late guys like maybe an Ian Thomas or a Jay Sternberger, um, yeah. or other guys like that. So if I miss on those first three, and this 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 pretty much applies to um, other formats as well, not not just the ones where the tight ends get in um, more of a premium. But I just think if you miss those first three, you might as well punt the position for quite a while, unless there's obviously a nice value, um, something that you can't turn down in the middle. Yeah. Um, I think I'm with you there. Uh, the only the only part of my strategy I give away on the Scott Fishbowl is, and I, I swear to you, I'm not just pandering to Dan being a Cowboys fan, but I am not ruling out. Depending on how the first two picks go, I'm not ruling out taking Dak Prescott at the 103. That's all I'm going to give away on my uh, strategy because that's all. I, that's the only strategy I've got so far. <laughs> so Kev, um, I think you've got an NFC South sleeper potentially as well. Yeah, just just a quick one on Russell Gage of the Falcons. Mm. Um, there's been a lot of discussion about all the vacated targets in in Atlanta. 258 actually in in total, which is number one in the NFL. Um, now a lot of people are just going to give those targets to uh, Hayden Hurst, who's come in, to Calvin Ridley, uh, Julio Jones. But Russell Gage, he was actually the wide receiver 39 over the second half of the season, and he was wide receiver 11 in catches. So actually. I think he could have a, a sneaky breakout. Now, I'm not, not going to say that he's he's going to have a massive ceiling as such, but I think he has got that safe sort of floor. And if he ended up being someone you can play in the flex spot or potentially a wide receiver free at a push, I think that's going to be a massive value on, on where he's going in drafts, which is pretty late on. Yeah, so I think this is the... Someone like Russell Gage, for me, is a perfect example of um, what we talk about quite a lot in where you look at opportunity over talent. Because, I mean, you look at Russell Gage, so he's probably going to be the uh, third wide receiver for the Falcons, as he said, in an offense that he's, got, he's going to have um, a high amount of targets uh, to share out. And a lot of targets have been vacated. But Russell Gage was wildly inefficient last year. Um, so that would put me off a little bit, but is that something that would put you off, Kev? Or are, are you truly looking at the opportunity over over the talent? Yeah, I just think for it, for his price, is you're getting him cheap enough that you can maybe sit him on your bench for a little while and see actually how how he um, how he fares this season if he is going to get the the portion of the vacated targets. But as well, because he's going to likely be a flex play. You can't, you're kind of all right with that boom bust. You need those sort of 
um, ceiling, uh, the sort of boom plays as such to, to win your week. So I think at his, at his price, I'm, I'm willing to keep him at the back end of a roster and just play a wait-and-see game for the, for the time being. Yeah, I mean, I'd assume he's really cheap. So, Dan, it'd be interesting to get your take on that. I mean, it's clearly a case with Gage of opportunity over talent. Is that where you look, especially later in year in drafts? Yeah, I think you get to the end of the draft when, you know, your competition didn't do as much studying as, as you guys and you have someone you're targeting like a Russell Gage, you know, you have nothing to lose. You know, if, if Kev's wrong and it doesn't pan out, oh, well, he's going to pick up a free agent and replace yeah. a Russell Gage. Yeah. But if he does pan out, there, there's, there's some real nice value there. He's number three. And I think he'll hold on to that number three job. I know they signed Laquan Treadwell, but, you know, not having the normal offseason, Gage has a lot more chemistry. Yeah. Um, if Julio or Ridley, you know, happen to get hurt or miss any time, then you got, you know, you have a starter that week. You know, he, he should be the guy to get the target. So all upside, a lot to gain, very little to lose. So good deep sleeper there by Kev. That's even yeah. deeper than Ke- that's deeper than Steve Sims there. So nice, nice job, Kev. Yeah, well, Cheers, that, that, that is a good – I hate to give you any credit, Kev. But that, is a, <laughs> <laughs> that is a really good sleeper. I, I, I'm with you there. So if we move on to the NFC West, Dan. Uh, in the NFC West, this is another interesting division here. And, uh, you know, I had some deep sleepers I'm eyeing up, but there's a couple places where I think in Dynasty you could get a two-for-one. You know, there, there's a lot to gain here. So I'm going with Tyler Higby and Gerald Everett. If I, could, if I could bend the rules a little bit of picking one, uh, one sleeper in the division and say get them both. Both are, both are talented. Both look very good on film. Higby looked incredible at the end of last year. I mean, yeah. he was just lighting it up. And I know one league, he, he helped, helped my team down the stretch tremendously. I was just loving the Tyler Higby bandwagon. But uh, two tight ends are going to be used heavily in the Rams system. Uh, this allows you to handcuff them if you get one and say if one gets hurt or something happens or, you know, everyone's so high on Higby, maybe, you know, Gerald Everett rises from the ashes. At least you have them both and you're safe. And I think you could get both in your draft. And then at the end of the year, Everett's a free agent. So when he leaves, you have the starting tight end for the Rams, and you probably have the starting tight end somewhere else. Again, I think they're both very talented, and it's a win-win situation. So loving that tight end situation with the Rams. Yeah, and I think, I think that's a really interesting take on it. Because, I mean, um, me personally, and from what you read in the community, is people see that, and I'll be honest, including myself, see that as a little bit of a negative of taking Higby and Everett. And my main argument for is that is that – uh, Gerald Everett, for me, is obviously an athletic freak. I don't think he's just going away because of Higby's uh, burst at the end of the last season in the five games. And for me, out of the two of them, I'd be taking Gerald Everett. Um, he's currently His ADP is currently the 33rd tight end off the board, which is just crazy to me. Whereas Tyler Higby is the tight end 12, I think it is, off the top of my head. So... I think your strategy is great, Dan. For me, I probably wouldn't do that only because, as I said, I punt tight end for so long that I wouldn't even get someone like Tyler Higby. So in that situation, I would take uh, Gerald Everett instead. Obviously, he's going 20 tight ends later than Higby. And Everett's an athletic freak. But to be honest, you've probably boosted my my thoughts on Everett. I thought he had two years left on his contract. So it's very interesting. I think with his athletic profile, I think we'll see him get another a starting tight end role. So, Kevin, is that a strategy that you've ever employed um, where you'd take? But I don't think it would work in redraft. So, we are speaking specifically about dynasty here. Is that something that would interest you? I must be honest, Rich, I've never actually come across this strategy. So, <laughs> 
I, I had to read it a few times to to fully get my head around it. Now, I do feel that both of these guys, uh, they do have that upside and they're both potentially sleepers. And I do like both these players. Obviously, Higby was amazing down the stretch last season and he's he's potentially got a top five value next season. I know both um, Mitch and John Bauer from Dan Show uh, have him pretty high as well. And then Gerald Everett, he was a top 10 tight end the first half of last year. And he's yeah. got some endorsements from guys like Evan Silver in the off-season. So I think individually they're both really talented and they've got that sleep potential. I guess my only worry is if, let's say, Everett re-signs, does that mean that they both end up eating into each other? Because mm-hmm. outside of, let's say, a team like um, the Eagles, there's not really another team that has two tight end ones, um, thinking current current price. So I do like both of these as sleepers, but I'd be uncertain about doing like a, a double up, a, a two for one sort of deal. Yeah, I think it's a really interesting strategy, actually. I think I'm going to look more into that. I really like that, Dan. Um, before we... Uh, sorry, Dan. Oh, sorry. It's kind of like handcuffing the running backs. You know, it's a yeah. very physical position. Yeah. I like that Kev brought up the Eagles situation because it's just one of the better two tight end offenses out there. And if one goes down, you still have the other. Yeah. yeah. They both play. I think, you know, you're hoping one's production is enough. So, like you said, Rich, they don't eat into each other. Um, but at the end of the day, too, you know, again, in Dynasty, you might end up with two starting tight ends and a lot extra trade bait next season. Yeah, I think the advantage as well, um, the more I think about this, you've really swayed me on it, is, so Kev, you brought up the Eagles with um, Zach Ertz and Dallas Goddard. The issue there, obviously, you wouldn't really be able to to pull off that strategy, in my opinion, um, with the Eagles' tight ends. That being, they're both potentially tight end ones, and they're being taken in startups as both tight end ones. So you'd have to use two reasonably early picks to get both Ertz and Goddard, which I wouldn't be willing to do. Uh, but with the, the Rams tight ends, the great thing is you look at the price. So you could take Tyler Higbee as, as the tight end 12, and then you can wait a ridiculous amount of time before you'd have to even consider taking Gerald Everett. So, But whereas the Eagles, if, if that makes sense, it's you'd have to take them quite quickly after each other. Yeah, and I guess the upside as well with with what Dan said is if they both, if they both hit, if if Everett does move on after the, off se- uh, after the season, then <laughs> you've potentially got... I don't know, you might have two tight end ones, which would be unbelievable. The Rams are a salary cap mess. So I'm a little encouraged, too, that they won't be able to re-sign Everett. So that helps me a little more confident in employing that strategy. Welcome back to the British Ballers podcast. Uh, With me today is my co-host, Kev. Uh, You can follow on Twitter at Dynasty underscore Goat. And our special guest is Dan LaMagna of Dynasty Theory. You can follow him on Twitter at FFCoachDan. I spell it out like an idiot in the first half of the show, so apologies. (laughs) (laughs) And you can... (laughs) <laughs> and you can follow Dynasty Theory on Twitter at D-Y-N-A-S-T-Y-T-H-E-O-R-Y-F-F, Dynasty Theory, <laughs> F-F. So uh, in today's show, we're looking at Dynasty Sleepers. So these are players you can target outside of the top 100 in your Dynasty startup drafts. Uh, we looked at the NFC in the first half of the show, so we're now going to be concentrating on the AFC. And Dan, if you want to kick us off with your sleeper in the AFC North, and we're going deep sleeper here, boys. This is uh, even deeper than the Russell Gage, I think, that Kevin brought. Yeah. It was uh, more difficult finding a, 
a standout dynasty talent outside the top 100 in this mm-hmm. division specifically. Um, and, but I, I'm going with Miles Boykin of the Ravens. You know, I'm kind of going back to last year as looking at an opportunity for wide receiver to, uh, if he could take the next step after his rookie season. You know, I know he had some injuries. There was a learning curve. We know sometimes wide receivers also take a little time to develop. I think he fell in that category. Now, I don't have as much conviction as I like. I, I, if someone came <laughs> on the show and you guys are, are may you know, be fully loaded, ready to argue about Devin DuVernay, uh, their, their first-round talent. I know Willie Sneed is still there. I just think it's a wide-open, wide-receiver two position. And, again, what's, what's going on in the world today and having limited off-season time, I think this is a situation where it could you know, be a factor and keep that door open for Miles Boykin uh, to, to steal an opportunity there. Uh, Seth Roberts is gone. He had a lot of catches last year. Duvernay is still learning. And Boykin's an incredible athlete. It's mm. just he, he needs an opportunity, and he needs to take advantage of it because the, the window will close soon with drafting du- Duvernay. Uh, but he would be my deep sleeper, and I think you get him towards the end of your draft. So that is uh, really deep. Kev, Boykin? Yeah, it's deeper than a submarine, that. Um, you always, you yeah. always want to get with these terrible jokes. I know. It's, uh, <laughs> yeah, I think, yeah, like Dan said, it's wide open behind Mark Andrews and uh, Marquise Brown. So there's definitely going to be an opportunity there. In, in 2020, Baltimore were the run heaviest team at 57.5%. Um, and there's a strong chance that that flips a little bit and there's more pass attempts and yards this season. Now, Boykin, he only had 22 targets last year, but he did he did get three touchdowns, so it shows that he's, he's not a complete scrub. Um, so, for me, yeah. <laughs> what a ringing endorsement. <laughs> I don't know how to take that one. <laughs> I'm agreeing with you. <laughs> no, um, I, just, I just feel like uh, there's, a, there's a low ceiling for, the, for, for Boykin, but he should take a big step this year. So, um, I can totally see his value rising and, Essentially, that's what you're wanting to do is take players that's value is going to rise. And potentially, if you're not sold on the talent, you can always look to, to trade these pieces. Yeah, yeah I mean, I th- sorry, Dan. Go ahead, Rich. Um, no, I was just good. <laughs> <laughs> you, man. You, you got it. Uh, no, to be fair, you probably make a much better point than I will. Um, the only thing really I would add is that, I mean, I don't know if you guys, I don't know Boykin's ADP off the top of my head. It, it comes back a little bit to what we're talking about in the first first half of the shot, I'd assume that Boykin is pretty much free at this point or, or very close to it. So there's very little risk there. Yeah, I mean, I think there's still a few Boykin truthers out there. I think I had him written at like 165 overall. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think part of the reason liking him too is that I just love the Ravens. I mean, for me, I'm real high on Mark Andrews again. I think he even becomes better with Hurst out there. Uh, Marquise Hollywood Brown's one of my – I'm trying to get as many shares of, of Hollywood. But, you know, defenses, they're going to have some tough matchups and someone else has to catch the ball. And we've been talking a little bit about this hive mentality on Twitter. We're all on Twitter and you see everybody's takes and everybody's talking about the same guys. And no one's talking about Miles Boykin or the number two wide receiver in Baltimore. Someone has to win that job. I know they're, you know, a running team first. Uh, but, again, late in your draft, young talent, uh, Boykin's worth a flyer. Yeah, I, I think I'm with you there. I think um, we, we, we've talked about it a lot already. Obviously, with this being the strangest off-season we've, we've probably ever had in the NFL. I mean, we've got Devin Duvernay in there. I do like Devin Duvernay long-term, but Boykin's got a huge advantage over Duvernay in the fact that Duvernay hasn't even been on the practice field with the Ravens at this point. We don't even know whether or not training camp will start on time. 
And it comes back to when we talked about Steve Sims on the Redskins, you're potentially getting the Ravens wide receiver too. Um, extremely cheap if he can win that job. I think he has a great chance of doing that. My concern with what you brought up, Kev, about the, being the most run-heavy offence uh, run heavy offense in the league. I do think that that will swing a little bit this year. Um, I think Lamar Jackson will take a further step in his passing accuracy and his performance in the passing game. So we may see that come down a little bit. I'd still expect them, though, to be honest, to be one of the most run heavy teams. And I'm like you, Dan, I'm a huge fan of, of Hollywood Brown. I'm ready for a breakout there. He's finally healthy. I'm watching yeah. how he's training this offseason. Uh, you know, he's been training for two years with Antonio Brown. You know, I know there's a lot of issues there, but the te- we were just talking about talent and learning the game of football. Yeah. He's learning for some really good people. And, uh, you know, him and Lamar Jackson, I think they're in for a big season. Yeah, and you mentioned Mark Andrews obviously taking another step. I, I would agree with you. Do, do you think there's any, any possibility that, because I've seen it a little bit in the fantasy community the last few weeks, that people believe that, Andrews could actually be the tight end one this year. I don't know if I'm ready for that yet, mm. but I, I, I could see the ceiling. You know, my only concern is, that, is there any reason why Baltimore may still limit his or manage his snaps? Mm. You know, if there is something there where they're still, you know, managing him a little bit, you know, Kelsey and Kittle, I, I think will be tough to dethrone. Yeah. Uh, but I, I love Andrews. I'm, you know, once Kelsey and Kittle is off the board in a draft and you have an opportunity to take a tight end, I have no problem putting Andrews in that same class and drafting him. Yeah, I, I've been targeting him in numerous leagues this offseason. I don't think I've managed to get him in a startup. I have traded for him in a few leagues. Kev, have you, do, do you have many shares of Andrews at all? I know you're a fan of him. Um, I think I've just got one share of him in a tight end premium league. Um, but coming to your, your point about will he, will he break into the the tight end one sort of frame I think for me probably no he's, he's a clear tight end three for me but mm. I guess the thing that sort of worries me is, is the uh, touchdown dependency whereas those guys at the top Kittle and Kelsey yeah. they don't actually have massive touchdown numbers um, they, I think Kittle he averages about five a season so if let's say for example one of those guys had another uh, had a bit of a touchdown breakout and got maybe eight to ten, there's no way that Andrews is going to be the tight end one. Yeah, I think that's a valid point. Uh, so if we move on to the AFC East, can we possibly get someone even deeper than Miles Boykin from Dan? Uh, for, for listeners, before they never want me back on the show again when we talk about the, about the East, um, I've got a lot of sleepers that you will like, um, but, but I am starting a little bit lower than that submarine that Kevin mentioned before. And, and I, I'm just intrigued by the Miami Dolphins and just certain, you know, skill players they have all over the place there. You know, I, I'm a Jordan Howard over Breida guy, and I like Jacecki, and, and they got a boatload of receivers here. That that go that runs pretty deep. I mean, I honestly think they're about six deep at wide receiver. How talented they are, we'll see. But for this show, I just you know I, I'm thinking you know we're drafting. You hear the same names all the time. I want to just throw out a name that no one's even talking about that you get at the very end of your draft after Russell Gage, after Miles Boykin, and that was Jakeem Grant. Mm. Um, and wow. I was just just watching film a little bit last year. He is explosive, fast. Like I mean, he is a burner. And this offseason, I mean, he made a statement at the end of last year that, you know, he plans on – he couldn't wait for next year. Like, he just – he has high hopes. This offseason, he's been saying a lot of things, showing his route running, 
Uh, he just passes the eye test. So I just think he's kind of like a sneaky – it may be more of a best ball play, uh, but I think he might have a couple games where he breaks a couple deep, couple big ones and uh, puts up some stats. But how it plays out in Miami is a little bit uncertain. We all know Deontay Parker and Preston Williams are the guys on the outside, although Williams yeah. is coming off an injury. But then, like, who steps up in the slot? You know, you, you know, is it Albert Wilson? He's been battling injuries for years. Alan Hearns has been battling injuries. So I, I just think Jaheen Grant could be a sneaky end of the draft, nothing to lose sleeper. Yeah, I think, again, it, there's a little bit of a theme running through the show that I totally agree with. And this is one that I did look at the, the show sheet and, and thought, wow, that is – deep but again it comes back to what we've mentioned on a few other divisions is that opportunity the opportunities that it could potentially get in the competition ahead of him um, as you said Albert Wilson cannot stay healthy um, I have no faith that he can um, Alan Hearns similarly has had a lot of injuries he was great for one season in Jacksonville but other than that he's never really been that productive so and like you said what have you really got to lose by taking Jaquin Grant he's, he's pretty much free in, in some cases I would assume he's probably even going undrafted and you mentioned Preston Williams I am a fan of Preston Williams but he's coming off the was it the ACL that he tore I yeah. think uh, yeah and I mean you, you don't ne always or the majority of the time you won't see a, a player come back from that sort of injury and make a, a big impact in the immediate season following the injury and that's why I'm a lot higher than people seem to be on Devontae Parker um, as continuing the sort of um, production he showed in the second half of last year so I really like this as a deep sleeper behind those two it is wide open, so I'm with you on this. Kev, is this someone you agree with, or have you loaded up to annihilate us both? <laughs> no, I, I commend Dan on how deep this selection is, to be honest. Um, it's, I mean, for me, Grant, he'll be going undrafted in. You know, he's gone undrafted in the drafts I've been in. Um, I feel that at 28 years old, is he going to break out? Probably not. Um, but like you said... Could he, he could easily beat Albert Wilson and Alan Hearns, and yeah. that that offense it's going to be it's going to be mainly a spread offense where there's uh, four receivers on the field. You've got obviously Williams, Parker, Gasicki, and potentially Jakeem Grant. So I guess for for the for the for the cost as well, like you've got nothing to lose, um, and and what you're looking for is upside at the back of your draft. But I do think for me, if I did take. Jakeem Grant and he did break out. I'd be looking to try and move him for a bit, a uh, bit of extra value. Uh, but I do, do commend you for that, Dan, for going that deep. That's really brave. <laughs> it is, it is brave. The, the age is a deterrent, Kev, without a doubt, and and that's the one piece that's kind of has me skeptical still. Um, you know, he's historically been a returner, a gadget guy, but I just think. Again, I've, see, I've seen him flash. You know, there was enough on film last year just to kind of catch my eye. And then what he's saying and doing this offseason, uh, it's piqued my interest a little bit. I, I watched Alan Hearns as a cowboy. He's, he's a solid football player, but not a fantasy player. Um, so it's a deep sleeper. But if I'm, you know, just I'll throw it out there. You know, guys I was really looking at at the AFC East. I mean, there was the Dawson Knox and Chris Herndons. They're, yeah. They go back in that sleeper tight end category. Yeah. But I didn't, want, I didn't want all my picks to be tight ends. Um, <laughs> I like Rashad Perryman in that division. I've been kind of eyeing up for him for the last couple of years breaking out. He's really looked good on film and on game day. I don't know why teams just don't stick with him. Like, I thought he broke out of Tampa Bay at the end. I thought he broke out the year before. He just, he just needed to get out of Baltimore. So we'll see what happens. And uh, Damian Harris in New England is another sneaky running back. I love that one. I love that one. Up. 
I think for me, the two that you mentioned there that I really like in this division are Chris Herndon, who is, um, I don't have his exact ADP in front of me, but I, I know he's going very deep in startups. He's someone that I've taken a shot on or a dart throw late in drafts at tight end. Um, and Perriman as well. I mean, he was, I had him on a, a championship winning team, a championship team that beat Kev last year that I only mentioned once every show. Oh, uh, but sorry, yeah, it was great at the end of last year. So, and you look at that Jets offense. Who really is there that is gonna is gonna get the targets? You've got Jamison Crowder. Um, you've got my mind's gone blank. My mind's gone totally blank. Mims, <laughs> Mims, Denzel Mims. I can't remember. So Denzel Mims, I really like Denzel Mims. I think I had him as my wide receiver four or five. But as we've already covered a little bit already, um, with uh, no rookie camp, no um, OTAs. It may take Denzel Mims a little bit time to get up to speed in the NFL. So I really like Herndon and Rashad Perriman, potentially. Yeah, Herndon's tight end 51 as well, his ADP, which is absolutely a joke. Yeah, yeah the Jets said too, They, I think one of their beat writers this offseason said they're looking to unleash Chris Herndon. Uh, so if he's on to something there, he, he's, he's right around that Ian Thomas range again. Yeah. Try to come out with as many of those tight ends as you can. Someone's going to break through this season. Yeah, totally agree with you. Kev, have you, can you possibly beat Dan's deep sleeper of Jakeem Grant in the AFC East? The short answer is no. Um, <laughs> this guy actually got a little mention a couple of minutes ago, but it was kind of on the negative, and that was Preston Williams. So I just feel that he's... If he does come back from the injury and he's, he's back to his old form, he is going to be of value. He was wide receiver 37 at the time of his injury and is currently going at wide receiver 52. Um, he, his stats compared to Devontae Parker in their eight games, those was basically the same in terms of fantasy points. So I don't see a reason why that can't continue. Um, or even swing potentially in this new offense. So I think for me, he'd be someone that's potentially a sleeper because people will be scared off by the, the injury and make him a value. So would he be someone that you'd target in, in a, I mean, we, we honestly mentioned the worry of him just coming off the ACL tear. Is he someone that you'd target in redraft this year? Or is it someone that you're just looking at from a dynasty perspective for the for future years? I think both for me. At, at wide receiver 52, he's likely someone that's going to be the first guy off your bench or potentially a flex spot, depending on how deep your league is. Yeah. So I'd feel more comfortable um, taking him than, say, I don't know, someone like maybe an AJ Green who's potentially going higher, yeah. um, ju just because essentially they're both coming back off injuries, but he's a cheaper option. Yeah, I younger. mean, and that one for me, the last one you've mentioned, I'd, I'd love to come to Dan. Um, AJ Green, obviously not a sleeper, but he's someone that I'm completely staying away from in redraft and dynasty. There's obviously concerns about whether or not he can stay healthy. I'm not really entirely sure that he even wants to be in Cincinnati anymore. Um, is there a point in the draft down where you would take AJ Green or are you taking him at his ADP? Uh, you know, I'm a Georgia Bulldog fan, so I've always, always liked AJ Green. You know, he's kind of the forgotten about superstar here. I think you have a potential as a wide receiver one. But to your points, I mean, a lot of that luster's kind of wearing off the last couple of years. I mean, he's getting ejected from games. He doesn't want to be in Cincinnati. He's just, he doesn't seem to be in a good mind space. Now, I mean, does Joe Burrow revigorate that organization? Or, you know, again, here you are starting over again with a rookie quarterback. 
So I'm definitely not targeting him, Rich. But if he falls to me, you know, like I said, if he slept in a draft because the conversation we're having now where, you know, he is sliding and a lot of people are avoiding. Yeah. If he's at a value, I, I could sleep well having A.J. Green on my roster, but I'm definitely not going to reach for him. Yeah, I think, I think that's where I am. And I think that's the point that um, a lot of fantasy gamers do forget. Um, rather than, and to be fair, I mean, I'm guilty of myself. I just literally said I'm not targeting AJ Green at all, so I'm certainly guilty of it. But I think when you look at it from like a thousand feet view, I think every player at some point becomes a value. So I'm avoiding him at ADP, but then I sort of tell myself that if he fell well below his ADP, at some point he does become a value to have on the back end of the roster just in case um, he does bounce back. Yeah, I think in redraft, there's still, you know, value, bef you know, maybe before, you know, do you believe in Devontae Parker or not? Uh, you know, Stefan Diggs, Michael Gallup, Tyler Boyd, Dynasty, I love those guys. But in redraft, I mean, it wasn't too long ago that A.J. Green was in that Julio Jones class. I mm -hmm. mean, he was elite. So uh, I think you don't want to slide him too far in redraft, but in Dynasty especially, he'd have to fall to me. Yeah, so Kev, just a quick point from you on A.J. Green, because I know – the average age of your dynasty teams in the leagues I'm in with you are like 36.5. So I'm assuming that AJ Green is someone that you do like. I'd take him at the right price, yeah. I think, um, like you say, if he if he's going to be like on your bench, he's mm. worth having. I just, I wouldn't feel comfortable um, having him in, in my starting lineup or my flex spot because there's so much uncertainty there. Even if he, he, might, he might not even make it back. I mean, we didn't see him last season. I don't think he signed his tender. He's on a tender, I think. I don't yeah. think he's even signed it as yet. Yeah, I think he's a massive risk, but he's, he's worth a hold on your bench, I think, just in case he does get back to his previous form because he's, he's obviously got, he's obviously been a wide receiver one in the past as well. Uh, not, not that he can get there again, but um, there's that potential there for the, for, the, uh, for the ceiling as such. So he's fine on your bench, but in your starting lineups, you need to be looking elsewhere. Yeah, I think we're all on the on the same page there. So if we move on to the AFC South, um, Dan, do you want to give us a wonderful sleeper in the AFC South that I 1,000% agree with? <laughs> I had a feeling you were going to like this one because I, I think I saw on Twitter you're, you're a Jacksonville Jaguars fan, and uh, my condolences there. It's, it's, it's been a rough time for you. Uh, you know, I'm going with Raquel Armstead here. He's definitely been very intriguing to me, and – this is going to fall in that same strategy as we were talking about the Rams tight ends earlier. Now, I, I really like this kid. I think he's a great handcuff for Lennon Fournette. I, you know, I don't know how much production you're going to get out of him this year, Rich and Kev, but we, the Jags have made it known they're rebuilding. They tried to trade Fournette. I, I think at the very least, Fournette is gone after the season, if not potentially the trade deadline. Yeah. If he did get traded at the deadline, you're in a really nice situation. So whether it's an injury, a trade – you want, you want to have Armstead on your bench, and he could pay big dividends later on. At the worst case, you know, in Dynasty, if you ride him out in the next year, you have two starting running backs because Fournette will most likely be gone. And if Jacksonville is as high as they say they are on him and he produces when given the opportunity this year, Raquel Armstead's probably the next starting running back of the Jags and, and a nice sleeper. Now, in the same time, though, Rich, those Jags, I, I don't know what they're doing. I don't know what their game plan is. No, I, no I one does. <laughs> Jay Gruden's the new offensive coordinator. I, he was abysmal as a head coach, but I'm hoping he's better as an offensive coordinator. And I do like that LaVisca Chanel draft pick. Yeah. Uh, we'll see how things kind of play out here. If, if Minshew Mania has more magic in it, it's got a shot. But if not, the, 
this, this roster has a lot of questions. Yeah, I mean, that the thing for me that you've nailed there, um, in particular on the Jags, is that if, I mean, it's, it's pretty obvious that Leonard Fournette, at the very least, is going to be, is going to leave at the end of the 2020 season, or potentially, like you said, it could be traded before the deadline. And we have so many holes on that roster that you wouldn't expect the running back is an area that we would immediately look to... Uh, would look look to fill next off season. So as you said, there's a, there's a good chance that Raquel Armstead could be the starting running back by next year. So just having a look at, at Raquel Armstead's profile. So we drafted him in the fifth round last year. Um, it was actually more when I looked at this, he was more productive than I remember seeing on very few very few opportunities. So last year he had 35 rushing attempts, 108 yards. Uh, but it was the passing game that was actually much more promising than I remembered. Usually because I. I've turned off by the third quarter, to be fair, so that might be why. But he had in the passing game, he had 14 receptions on 24 targets, 144 yards and two touchdowns. I think he's got a great shot of, at the very least, being the backup running back. So we signed Chris Thompson um, this off-season. Uh, to be honest, I'm not even convinced that Chris Thompson makes the final roster, and if he does... He can't stay healthy. So I think he, I really do believe that Armstead will go into the season as the RB2. Obviously, you've covered it, Dan. He's behind Fournette, who's in a volatile situation. Um, either Fournette could be traded, as you said, at the trade deadline, or one thing that people may be not looking at too much when they're talking about taking Leonard Fournette because uh, that we might run him into the ground this year. I, I do agree with that, but the thing for me is Leonard Fournette, last year in 2019, he was healthy all year, but for Fournette, that's actually an outlier in comparison to the rest of his college and NFL career where he hasn't been able to stay healthy. So if I was a betting man, I would suggest that he won't stay healthy all this year. So for me, I think Reichel Arnstead's a great handcuff to Fournette or even potentially he's going that late in startups or in redrafts at the minute that he's worth uh, picking up as a standalone running back at the back of your roster. So he's going as the 75th running back off the board by uh, my fantasy league ADP. And you have to think that his value would rocket if Leonard Fournette is traded, of course, or if Leonard Fournette goes down with an injury. So even if you don't have that much faith in Raquel Armstead, I think you look at how the fantasy community reacts to things like that, where the starting running back goes down. So I would still take him, even if you don't have any faith there, because I think you you would get huge value in selling him off immediately. Um, Kev, is this someone that you agree with on Raquel Armstead? Yeah, you, you guys have absolutely nailed this for me. I'm totally in agreement with you. Um, only thing I'll add, which probably doesn't add any value to the listeners, but um, I'm going to say it anyway. Um, I've got fun in a few places, so I need to get my trade offers out for Armstead before this show's released. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, a lot yeah. of drafts. A lot of drafts you're waiting for, you know, you're, you're taking those handcuffs, sleeper running backs and – you know, Armstead's just a nice value later in the draft when you're putting stashing running backs on your roster. But I got to add, Rich, you know, your Jaguars have caused a lot of heartache to me. I've, I've watched a lot of Jaguars <laughs> football. Uh, I play a lot of DFS during the season. And, you know, last year I had, uh, I think it was week one, Nick Foles. And I, I picked an awesome lineup. I was just crushing it. And then Foles got injured, like, right out of the gate. And I was crying because <laughs> that, that, that touchdown to Shark was his last points of the game. And then there was another game where I took Fournette. And it was versus the Bills. I guess the Bills were just getting gashed against the run, and Fournette was crushing them. And then there was a fight on the sidelines. Oh yeah, with, yeah. With, with that Fournette had nothing to do with, and decided to go and join it and throw a punch and get ejected. And then I had another great lineup, and Fournette was crushing it. And I finished like third in this big contest. That would have been <laughs> so so much better if Fournette stood in the game. So 
I just that's my uh, little therapy session. I appreciate you guys. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, they've caused me heartache for uh, 20 years, so I can't have much sympathy for that. That Fournette <laughs> game was hilarious because at the time, um, I think Fournette was playing well, but if I remember right, we were getting a, the Bills were well ahead. So by that time, I didn't care. I was more bothered about the fantasy team. And I remember I can't remember who I was playing at the time, but the, the guy I was playing against it was a very close game, and he had Leonard Fournette when Fournette got ejected. So I was delighted <laughs> it went charging down the uh, the sideline. Um, but yeah, the only thing I can really, any advice I can give is don't ever rely on the Jags for anything. Um, I've so, learned the hard way. <laughs> yeah. I should have talked to you sooner, Rich. Yeah, I mean, the, the most heartache I've had in recent years was obviously we, we had that Cinderella season in 2017 and then the year after when we were we were considered one of the favourites for the Super Bowl and then we started really well, we beat the Patriots and I think we went three and one. And then I was actually in the US at the and we played the Chiefs on the road and we got dismantled. But that wasn't too bad. That was sort of expected. And then we played the Cowboys the week after, um, on the Sunday afternoon. And uh, we were in Las Vegas at the time. So I watched that in the the MGM surrounded by Cowboys fans and we got obliterated as well so that was just purely miserable so that's my latest memory that's that's why the Cowboys upset me my apologies <laughs> I, I know what it's like being a diehard fan and you actually get to go see a game and they, they, your team lets you down I've been there before too so yeah it's I, think I was in Vegas that weekend as well it was weird wasn't it <laughs> is that when we met did we meet did I what no I avoided you I think you know, I we were there yeah, at the same time yeah you did I just ignored your calls <laughs> yeah we, we were both in Vegas but not together yeah yeah that was a good move for me so Kev strong move <laughs> have you got any sleepers for the AFC South Kev before we move on yeah just one from me a quick one on John U. Smith um, oh yeah Delaney walks out the out the picture, so he could easily become the number two guy in that past game. Obviously, Corey Davis is still hanging around, but he's in the last year of his deal. Uh, John o. Smith, only 24, and he's improved his fantasy production every season. So I'd be expecting a similar sort of breakout to, say, uh, your Ian Thomas type, mm. going around a similar place, similar age. Mm. So he'd be the one for me to look out for. I'd be really interested in your thoughts on this one, Dan, because I'm totally in agreement with Kev um, for once on this. I love John o. Smith this year, but his ADP at the minute is absolutely fine. But the, he seems to be one of those guys where there is a lot of hype on Twitter and around the fantasy community for him. I think it's only a matter of time over the next few months where potentially his ADP skyrockets and the hype gets to the point where he's no longer worth the price. So, He's certainly someone I'd be interested in, in your thoughts on. Yeah, as I reevaluate this, as Kev, you know, brings it up, I mean, the Titans, I think they are built around Henry Brown and Jonu, and everybody else is just complimentary players. And, uh, you know, I look at my rankings. I have Jonu ranked very high, um, I think 14 overall. Mm -hmm. um, but I'm not seeming to get him anywhere. Yeah, uh, you know, so, so I'm thinking, how do I get more shares of John O. Smith somehow? Because I, I do believe in him. You know, I, I talk about being a film guy. When he touches the ball, I mean, he's electric. That guy's got a burst. He, he, he's a tight end that could take it to the house. And now he's got the opportunity to be the guy. Delaney Walker's gone. And um, no arguments with you, Kev. I just have a tough path getting him or obtaining him in drafts. There always seems to be that, you know, one person that's higher, and I don't seem to get him. But solid player. 
I've actually got him tight end 11. I've just had a quick look now. Wow. That's pretty high. Like, um, I finished my projections the other day. So the, these are projections, not rankings as such, but he, he came out as, well, actually tied tight end 10. So I probably have to um, maybe look at that again. That seems a bit high, but yeah, just based on the numbers that are crunched, tight so end I mean, 10. Obviously, you yeah. your mind, change your mind when... Uh, once you reevaluate it, but so I mean, is it at the minute? His ADP suggests that you don't have to take him as the tight end ten or eleven. You can get him. As I said, this is this is off the top of my head, so I'm sure people will correct me when this comes out. I think he's going. He's still going around the tight end seventeen or eighteen, as far as I know. So, if his height does does increase this off season and he, he sort of reaches to that sort of level where his ADP becomes the tight end ten or eleven, would you be willing to take him at the ADP? Either of you guys. No. <laughs> no, I just think Thanks. I just, I just that, that great analysis from then. No, I just think um, I just think there's so many good tight ends that could break out that that tier, you you find taking anybody towards the bottom of that tier. So, like you mentioned, guys like Ian Thomas, Herndon, uh, Irv Smith, Jarwin, Sternberger, you can probably take one of those guys, and the range of outcomes is probably similar to John O. Smith. So. I'd be fine taking him tight end 16, 17, but I just feel like if someone's willing to take him at tight end 10, 11, then fair play. He's taking him at his ceiling. These tight ends are so intriguing. And I, I could see the path to where you have him, Kev, at you know, that 10, 11 range. I mean, all that's saying is, you know, you think he could have a better year than a Noah Fant, Hayden Hurst, you know, getting that Higby range, Hunter yeah. Henry. I mean, it's possible. Yeah. And, I, and I really get a f feeling the fantasy football world is going to be really mad because they missed one of these tight ends. Yeah. <laughs> like, like there's just yeah. somebody we're going to overlook or not take enough. You know, you might, we might be going back to this podcast and say, oh, remember when Kev mentioned Janu? And then it, he's like tight end five or something. <laughs> yeah. So someone's going to break out, I feel, just no matter who it is. Yeah, and I think that's why my strategy at the minute is – um, in a start me and Kev recently did together I, I think I left tight end until round 15 and then I literally took four dart throws in around five rounds I, off the top of my head I think I didn't get Jonu I was a bit like you Dan where I, I sort of left him a little bit too long but I took uh, Hayden Hurst, uh, Chris Herndon, uh, Gerald Everett and I can't remember the last one off the top of my head but yeah all around that range where I was just taking dart throws on the, on the basis that at least one of these potentially breaks out this year so I think for once tight end is actually quite deep this year so I agree Dan I think it's really intriguing hope we get it right guys <laughs> yeah <laughs> so if we move on to the last division um and I am certainly going to let I, I won't give away any spoilers but I'm going to let Kev go at this one because <laughs> uh, I think you're both going to disagree on this which would be great so do you want to give us your sleeper in the AFC West Dan uh, for me, for the West here, you know, after going to the bottom of the ocean for a couple of times, I have a few sleepers here, but I avoided those, and I went a little more popular. And I am buying a little bit of the hype on Drew Locke. Uh, you know, let's get a quarterback in this mix here. And I, I was, you know, just the NFL draft, seeing how they're building the talent around him and then everything I've been hearing. And uh, Dynasty Theory, my, my favorite episode, if there was just one episode you could go back to all time and watch the YouTube version, we had Woody, Woody Page. Um, for part of the inter interruption on our show. And he was just hilarious. A good chunk of the show wouldn't even talk fantasy football, where he was telling us <laughs> stories about Michael Jordan in a limo before a game where Jordan got sick. And just, just some amazing stories that you wouldn't hear. 
And uh, but then we got it. Finally, got into Denver. He's covered Denver for 30 years, so he's seen all the quarterbacks go through Denver. And he just says, you know, Drew Lock has that it factor, and it, it, I believe him. You know, I I, I see that, and, it, and the way they've built around him with Jerry Judy, they already have Sutton, they already have Fant. The pressure's off with the run game having Melvin Gordon. I think he's a very confident kid that you know they're building around him. They know they got to score with Kansas City to compete, and that's the kind of offense they're building. So. I just think he's a young talent that will be solid enough this year, and I think I think he's gonna I think he's gonna last in Denver. I think Elway's finally got it right. I mean, this this is a really interesting one for me. I think my main argument against Drew Locke isn't really backed up by that much. To be fair, it's only that it was a very small sample size where it was the last five games of last year. So it may be me, me being a little bit too close-minded on this one that I think he only threw for the two hundred yards once. And my only concern is, and he, he may blow this out of the water, because as you said, Danny, he's been set up for success by John Elway and the Broncos and the weapons they've got. Um, my only concern is that small sample size. Uh, and that's literally at this point. I'm, I may be completely wrong. I haven't got any Drew Lock shares for that reason. That I think I'm just not totally convinced by the hype. Um, but it is one where two, one, two years from now, it could be people like myself that look, ridiculous on this if he really explodes in 2020 so that's really my only take on Drew Locke because I think you covered it brilliantly so I'm, I'm going to let Kev take this one and see where he goes. Yeah I think first of all it's a fantastic endorsement from Woody Page obviously he's Mr yeah, yeah. Mr. Denver so uh, you got to take what he says with um, with a bit of weight I'd suggest um, but I just think for me the, the while, whilst the situation is great I do think that there's a ton of hype and we have only seen the five starts. Um, a lot more hype than substance for me. And I just think because of the level of hype that he's got, I think even if he achieves at sort of an average level, it'll feel like worse than it actually is because of the level of hype. So he might actually have a pretty decent season, but people will be probably feeling a bit, a bit down on that because he's spiralling a little bit out of control for me. I think the upside is completely there and I do agree, but there's a lot of risk as well involved uh, with, with Drew Locke and um, we, we know how trigger happy LA gets with his QBs. I wouldn't be surprised if if he absolutely flames out that we've got Jeff, Jeff Driscoll making some starts this season. Wow. I mean... Stop it, Kev. Stop it, Kev. <laughs> <laughs> I think the only thing... About what I'd say, what, what I would agree with Kev there is that the thing that worries me as well is because he's been, like you said, Kev, he's been set up so much for success with the weapons around him. It's not like, so I'd love to get what you think here, Dan. It's not like Denver has that much invested in Drew Locke from, um, from the perspective of where they, they took him. I think he was taken in round two. Is that right? Yeah. So it, it's not like they're completely tied to him, Dan. So do you have any concerns around Locke that, if if he does potentially flame out or struggles in the early going, that the Broncos move on from him. I'd say it's it's minimal risk, uh, not not enough to scare me away, guys. Uh, I just think Denver has to get it right right now. Mm. You know they've started over so many times. I know they didn't invest a lot, but in some ways they did. You know I I think Elway's going to lose his job if he gets the quarterback <laughs> situation <laughs> wrong again. And I'm a big John Elway fan. I mean I grew up watching all his comebacks. And uh, so I, I like to think he knows something about quarterbacks. I know it's a little bit trickier here at uh, life after Peyton Manning for the Broncos, but they're just a really well-run 
offense. I think they're kind of underrated in the way they were coached. You know, Locke went four and one last year in his games. And they were, you know, we've seen teams throw quarterbacks out to the Wolves and just get them killed, where Denver was really smart in how they used them, how they moved them around. He's got an excellent offensive line, you know, so he's going to have some time back there. Again, they can run the ball. Melvin Gordon's a beast. You still have Lindsey. Um, and then you get Sutton, Judy, K.J. Hamler. You got Noah Fan. I just think, it, I think it's a perfect storm for the kid. And, and I, I think they're going to bring him around, you know, just wisely. And they've built around him to make sure he's there for a while. So I think as you look at the quarterback carousel and you see, you know, a lot of unstable situations and certain guys not attractive, I think Denver's setting, them, setting it up where they're going to go for lock for many years so I think you're getting a guy for a while but I definitely understand the trepidation there the small sample size is small so I'm just taking the leap of faith here with Woody Page and uh, I've got my shares of Locke this year yeah I think I'd take Woody Page over me and Kev to be fair so, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, that brings us to an end of some uh, fantastic sleepers in there both deep and and really intriguing as well so the last part of the show we move on to is where we put the guest of the show on the spot with our NASA questions, which is need, acquire, sell, and avoid. Um, so, Dan, we're going to put you on the spot with one question for each of these, starting with need. So, one player you would overpay for in Dynasty that you need on your team? I need, I have overpaid already, whether it's <laughs> Dynasty, Redraft, um, we, we know uh, the Scott Fishbowl is coming up. You know, I, I build my rosters around, I play a lot of Superflex, it's my favorite format, and I want to have an elite quarterback. And it's very hard, I always get Lamar Jackson and Mahomes. I do have some Mahomes shares. You know, I love Deshaun Watson, but I do not like that situation in Houston at all. So I'm trying not to be too much of a Cowboys homer here, but I'm going to be and tell you that guy, Dak Prescott. Yes! I need Dak Prescott in my life here. And, and again, not trying to be just a Cowboys fan. I just think he is in the perfect situation. You know, he, he's looking to get that big contract. He signed for this year, so he's safe this year. Um, hopefully they do get him locked down long-term sooner than later. I just think everything going on in the world, there's a little more apprehension. Nobody's signing contracts right now. Um, but, you know, He's in the he's entering the prime of his career, and he's got a solid offensive line. He's got an incredible amount of weapons that just keeps getting better. I mean, when you have Amari Cooper, C.D. Lamb, Michael Gallup, Blake Jarwin, Ezekiel Elliott behind you, and a solid offensive line, and the defense isn't dominant. It's decent. So I, you know, I just think that they they have to score a lot of points. I heard Mike McCarthy talk about this offense being geared to scoring 33 points a game. Wow. Um, you know. I just see him as a fantasy gem. So Dak Prescott is, is my guy. You know, if I'm not getting Mahomes and Lamar, which I'm often not, um, sometimes if I am, I try to trade and get two quarterbacks. I, I think mm. I'm at about 90, 90% shares. There's only one or two leagues that I don't have Dak Prescott right now. So he's well, definitely man. my need of a guy. I want to be enjoying football on Sundays. And if I don't have the Cowboys quarterback, I'm miserable. So, <laughs> you know, it's my, it's my team. And he's talented and he's got the talent around him in fantasy. So. Now is the time for Dak Prescott. I think the biggest thing, too, is the clapper is gone. Um, I, I'm going to be honest, <laughs> that yeah. Coach McCarthy is there and just, you know, it's make the players feel a little bit uncomfortable and having to perform. It's been the same thing for 10 years. We just haven't been able to go over the top. There's still continuity with Kellen Moore's offensive coordinator. Um, you know, and their offense was great last year, but I, I think the game management's going to be better. Uh, I think the team's going to believe more, and they've had a great offseason. 
I um, I'm going to have to take a minute to wipe the drool away from my. Uh, I'm just wiping the drool from my table because that was wonderful. I am. <laughs> Other than you, Dan, I, and De- Kev can vouch, I am the biggest Dak Prescott truther yeah. on the planet. I absolutely love the guy. Um, I think potentially he could, he, if anyone is going to break the top two of Mahomes and Lamar Jackson this year, I think it's Dak. And I, I just can't see on any planet where, usually I can sort of say, you know, I get people's different views, but there are people still out there who don't believe in Dak Prescott, and I am just absolutely baffled um, by that I just don't understand it and I honestly believe he's going to put up video game numbers this year and for years going into the future um, I think I think it's going to be a miserable time for those those people that don't believe in Dak who have, have slated him since he came into the NFL because I think he is going to take another step he's you know he's, he's a good kid he works hard he says the right things in the media um, you know, he can run in fantasy. We love that when our quarterbacks can run. You know, he has that ability as well, and he throws it all over the field. And, and I don't understand where, where the non-belief in Dak is either. And people say that, but he still seems to get drafted, pretty, you know, fairly high. Um, but he's fun to watch on Sundays. You know, I, I'd say he makes most of the throws. He's not always perfect. But, you know, in, in watching all the quarterbacks on NFL Sunday, he is right there in that top class. Yeah. Totally agree. I mean, there are some guys out there, Dan, that believe that Carson Wentz is a better quarterback. So, Kev, uh, do you <laughs> have you got anything to add? Or have you been buried already? No, I really like this selection uh, because for, for Dak, I guess if, you, if you're overpaying for someone, there's got to be that, that next level they can go to for me. So, I, I do believe that Dak, he, he has a chance to be the QB one in fantasy. So, I think when you're overpaying for somebody, you've got to have that ceiling and Absolutely, Dak does have that ceiling in fantasy. Yeah, yeah. I don't think there's much more any of us can add to that after that enthusiasm. Uh, so if we move on to the next player, uh, Dan, so this one is acquire. So looking at one player you're actively looking to acquire at the right price, so not potentially overpaying, but one player that you, you really want if you can get them at the right price for you. Yeah, here's a player going to the wide receiver position that I have been able to attain in a few dynasty leagues this year. Um, you know, I want to acquire him in all formats. I know some people label him as a little more as a best ball target, but it's, it's Marquise Hollywood Brown, wide receiver of the Ravens. You know, again, I think he came into last year as a rookie, not 100%. He battled injuries last year, as we know. When he did play, he performed, you know, and this offseason, he's healthy. He's got another year under his belt. I believe that's big in the NFL. You're, that year one to year two jump, when you now know what it takes to really train like a professional versus a collegiate athlete, and he's got the fortune of being the number one for the Baltimore Ravens and Lamar Jackson. And I know people, it's kind of like Dak a little bit with Lamar there. People's really hard on him the way he throws. Um, but the guy could throw. I, I think it was two seasons ago in the playoffs versus the Chargers when they lost. He rallied him back and was slinging yeah. the ball o- yeah. all over the field. And, you know, again, he's not perfect. Like everyone expects these guys to just be like every throw going to be right. I mean, they're, they're, <laughs> yeah. they're, they're human beings that are still working on their craft young, early in their career especially. And um, I think he's healthy. I think he's in an ideal situation. Their run game got even better for play action. And I just think you're going to see Mar- Marquise Brown and Mark Andrews just tearing up defenses this year. I, I predict a 1,000-yard receiving season for Hollywood. And uh, he was explosive in Oklahoma. He was the number one receiver in last year's draft. I think this year you're going to see the dividends of that. And you got a stud number one that you're drafting at a value that's not necessarily number one. So I'm going to come to Kev on this one because – 
I'm for the second second take in a row. I am one thousand percent agreeing with Dan on this. Um, the only thing to add from my perspective is that he was he was phenomenally efficient last year with the the opportunities he did get, and he was apparently hurt for much of the season. So I'm with you, Dan. Again, I love Hollywood Brown. Trying to get him wherever I can, potentially even. If if necessary, I would potentially even slightly overpay for him. But I'm going to let you take this one, Kev, rather than just repeating what Dan said. I think I'd take him a, um, a discount, but I, I just feel like at his price, for me, there is a couple of guys I'd probably take over him, the likes of Christian Kirk or Deontay Johnson are going after him, and also Michael um, Hardman's cheaper, and I, I believe... Hardman's probably got more upside in the long term now. It's, it's not me saying that, that I don't believe Hollywood Brown's a good player. I just feel like I'd prefer to get him at value or a little bit less of a price than um, looking to get him or slightly overpaid for him as such. I think the issue for you, Kev, there probably, that I, I see what you're saying, but I'm assuming if you try to get Hollywood Brown now, you you're going to struggle as along with as a, as as along with Deontay Johnson. Is the hype seems to be uh, ramping up quite a bit for Brown? So I'm assuming you probably struggle now to get him at any sort of discount at this point in the off season. That's cool. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Good. <laughs> I don't think you need to get Hollywood at a discount to be happy with him. You know, I, I think the discount comes once you know McLaren, AJ Brown, DK Metcalf, those studs go off the board. You know, they, they go at a point higher than I could get them. I draft Marquise Brown, and I'm, I feel like I'm just as happy. Um, probably the first time I disagree with you a little, Kev, I, I just, I'm not feeling the Christian Kirk, Deontay Johnson pieces. I'd rather, you know, they slide later, but they just don't excite me. Like, I think when I'm drafting those wide receivers, I'm hoping that somehow they could become a number one. Kirk doesn't have that chance with DeAndre Hopkins there. Uh, Deontay Johnson, he's getting all the hype lately. <laughs> <laughs> I, I still see Juju there. I do love McCall Hardman, um, but I'd rather get Hardman and Marquise Brown. I, I think you could still get Hardman, you know, a little bit after. And again, Hardman, big Georgia Bulldog guy. I love Hardman. Uh, played basketball with Hardman and Fournette. You guys probably saw my shameless plugs on, on Twitter there. You know, so, so I'm definitely on the bandwagon. But, and I think Coach Harbaugh also said, um, you know, Marquise Brown, they, they couldn't be more excited to see what he's going to do this year. They said his hands are even better than they expected, which – He's the first running back taken off the board last year, and he's over, over you know, exceeding your expectations. Uh, I think he's a sneaky top wide receiver in the makings while everyone else is talking about, you know, DK Metcalf and Calvin Ridley and everybody else. Yeah, I'm, I totally agree. I mean, funnily enough, I've got one team where, and as Kev said earlier, I know it doesn't add much value to the listeners talking about our own teams, but I've got a team where, I completely bombed the startup. I think I lost my mind halfway through. So it turned into a sort of win now rebuild somehow. <laughs> <laughs> Where at the start of the draft, I was like, oh my God, this is a contender. And then it just fell to pieces. But in one of those where I am going to have to rebuild it because of the mess I've made, I've got uh, Marquis Brown, Deontay Johnson, Calvin Ridley, and Nicole Hardman. So I've got all four. Got of them all. Yeah. Love it. yeah, the rest of the team stinks, though. That's the problem. <laughs> so. If we move on to the next player then, and I think this is going to be the first one here where I potentially disagree with you. So this is one player you're looking to actively sell at the right price. Yeah, this is, this is a hard one for me. because um, I, I love this guy. So I'm, I'm kind of hypocritical or contradicting myself in my, my selection here. 
But I, I selected Deshaun Watson, quarterback of the Texans. Um, I think Watson is top three quarterback in the NFL. I, I think he's even more talented than Dak, and that, and that hurts me to even say that. But, you know, part of fantasy football is you're looking for talent and situation. Yeah. And I'm really getting turned off by the Houston Texans situation. So the reason I'm saying sell, again, at the right price, I'm not saying I want to sell Deshaun Watson. So please, in, in the United Kingdom there, don't think uh, that this guy <laughs> over here in Pennsylvania saying sell Deshaun Watson by any means. But if the price is right and, you know, maybe I'm, I could get a DAC plus or, you know, I, I get an, just a very attractive package that you can't pass up. Or, you know, if I'm not happy with my roster, yeah. he could, could be a guy. Because I'm really questioning what the Texans are doing right now. They have built the roster to me the opposite of how you build the fantasy football <laughs> roster and yeah. selecting all these guys that are – every single one of them is injury-riddled. Every yeah. one. I just don't think you build an organization that's going to be successful with guys that are going to get injured. Brandon Cooks has five concussions. How many more concussions and times does he need to be traded to, you know, think, okay, maybe I should have kept a Sean – or uh, Luke Hopkins there and uh, – I don't understand that trade. A lot of the trades they have made do not make sense. So they make these crazy trades, and you have Brandon Cooks who gets hurt all the time. I do like Will Fuller in fantasy this year, but I'm afraid I'll probably get burnt again because he has yeah. gotten injured every single season. Uh, you know, David Johnson, they're trying to re, you know, bring him back in the backfield. He's been getting hurt every season. I can see this entire starting offense being on the injured reserve by the end of the year. <laughs> <laughs> and, 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 and their offensive right. line's shaky too, so it's not yeah. even like the offensive line's a strength. Um, they're shaky. And if, if Watson wasn't as talented as he was, he'd be a hurting quarterback already. So I, I worry about his health as well. And yeah. Yeah, I don't wish that on any of these guys. I'm rooting for Watson, but I'm very concerned. I just think there's a lot of risk, which makes me say I trade him if the price is right. Yeah, I think to be fair, as I said, when I saw the name on the, the show sheet, I did think, oh, well, I disagree with that. But I think you've made a a really valid argument for why you potentially would sell him if if the package is right. I mean, I, I'm the same as you from the perspective I, I do love Deshaun Watson, but all I was going to add really, because what you've said there was, there's great, there's not much to add, but the one thing that I just wanted to pick up was, for the Texans, they, they've got a franchise quarterback like Deshaun Watson, and you sort of just mentioned it, every year I wince every time Deshaun Watson gets hit, um, and they don't seem to have done very much at all to protect their franchise quarterback. So that, that that's the issue for me more than talent. I think he's that good that he can overcome the issues on offense as long as uh, his offensive pieces can play more than two or three games combined. Uh, but it's more the injury side of it where I do have a few, few slight concerns because he gets hit so often. Yeah, spot on. I don't know what you think there, Kev, but because I could see him blowing up. I mean, like there is talent there. It's not like Brandon Cooks was not good at one time. David Johnson was awesome at one time. I'd just be really surprised if everything works out like yeah. uh, Bill O'Brien thinks it will. I think uh, I think you must have read my mind, Dan, because for my notes, I've just put trade for Dak Plus, and that, that, that's that's pretty much how I feel. I can't believe that Watson's going ahead of Dak still in in dynasty startups. So if you can trade Watson for Dak plus something else, you have to do it. And I'm, I'm with you. I love Watson and I agree with you there, definitely. Um, and there's not a lot of packages you're going to trade him for. I mean, again, it depends on your league mates and, and, the, and the opportunity. I think it's just something worth exploring. But then if you don't get what you think you can, then you hang on and you go for the wild ride with the Texans and you, you hope, <laughs> and hope it works out, if not this year and years to come. <laughs> 
Yeah, I mean, I've got Will Fuller on quite a few teams. Uh, I just can't resist the, the upside that he does have if he could actually stay healthy. Yeah, Will Fuller's a gem. I mean, yeah. when he has produced, he's awesome. When he's DFS, you love him. I actually had him last week when, or last year when he had that big breakout game. Uh, so he, he's worth throwing the dice on. There's definitely a lot of high upside there for Fuller. Yeah, I mean, just very quickly, and then we'll move on, because I know you're a big fan of Fuller. If, in the ideal world, Will Fuller could stay healthy for 16 games, where would you, where, what sort of position would you be in your rankings, do you think? Well, I'm just looking at my projections now. I've got him round about, uh, about 38, mm. um, which I think, I think it's probably fair enough because he does come with a fair amount of risk. But it, again, it depends on your team build. So yeah. if you've got, let's say you've took quite a few steady wide receivers to begin your draft, you might want to reach a little bit on Fuller just to give you that uh, variance each week and that upside. So yeah. it kind of depends on the rest of your team for me. No, I think that's valid. Um, if we move on then to the final. Richard, the final. hold on. What, if, I, if I could just add one thing to Kev's yeah, you know, fuller ranking there, I think we were exactly on the same page. Looking at my rankings, I had him 37th. Wow. And then, uh, I think depending on your roster construction, if you have concerns at receiver, you're not feeling that confident, or just your roster in general, and you, you know you need that guy that could just potentially break out, Hey, go for Will Fuller. I mean, he could be the Texans' number one receiver again if they do. If he does stay healthy, yeah, uh, he could be the guy. Yeah, uh, I, I think we're all in agreement on that one. I think it's the ceiling that's just irresistible. I, th I think the only thing I'd add there as well is that I wouldn't feel comfortable having Fuller as my wide receiver too in my my fantasy lineup. But I'm more than happy to have. Him. I've been in a position to have him where I'm playing him in the flex. Agree. Yeah. Um, so if we move on to the final, uh, the final section of this show, and we're looking at avoid, Dan. So one player or potentially two that you would avoid from buying at all in Dynasty. I just got burnt so bad last year. You know, some of these picks just don't work out. And I, I, I swore Nick Foles was going to be a sleeper with the, with the <laughs> Jags, Rich. And I, I think this goes back to our conversation before where you warned me. Um, but, you know, I was just taking them really late in drafts and, you know, the I guess I listened to the wrong people thinking Foles could be a little bit mobile and he was just a sitting duck in Jacksonville. Yeah. And uh, yeah. I just think the Bears situation is another one that I'm just not seeing it working right now. And, you know, whether they, you know, I'm hearing they're going to maybe go with Trubisky early and then turn it over to Foles and their coordinator saying this is like one of the best quarterback rooms in the NFL. I, I just, I don't know what Kool-Aid they're drinking, but I am not. Uh, so I am completely avoid on the Bears quarterback situation, period, whether it's Foles or Trubitsky. Um, you know, I look at so many better options, you know, even though you'd only probably be looking at them as a, a quarterback three on your roster just for depth, I'd hope you wouldn't be starting them. Uh, but I would rather just take anybody but them. I will have zero shares this season. Uh, yeah, I mean, I um totally in agreement with you obviously I've got my own thoughts about Nick Foles after this year so it's probably not one for me to comment on because I'm biased after the disaster he was in Jacksonville but obviously Kev you have more of an affinity with Foles for what he did for the Eagles in 2017 so I'd be interested from a fantasy perspective if you are where Dan is or you have a little bit more faith in Foles if if he does get the starting job. No I'm totally on board with Dan as well I think um, for, for me there's a Shobs a phrase something like if you've got two quarterbacks, you've got no quarterbacks. And I just feel like you don't know who's going to start the season, who's going to yeah. finish the season. And to be honest, 
you've got Foles who's not really got a he's not really got a ceiling with being a, a sitting duck as you as you said and <laughs> and Trubisky while he's got that rushing upside I, I don't think he's a good quarterback I think you'd have to you'd have to have him in a system a bit similar to the, to Baltimore really where he's he's running more and passing less to be effective so I'm totally on board with avoiding both of those guys. Yeah, I think that's what I think that's what the Bears want to do too, Kevin. By signing like 18 tight ends or however many they've signed this <laughs> offseason, they're they're telling us they want to run the ball a little bit more with David Montgomery. Uh, but there's just not enough talent around this offense, you know. So I think from a fantasy perspective, wanting to run more hurts. And then you know their offensive line isn't that strong, and I just I feel bad for Allen Robinson because I think he's one of the best receivers in the NFL, but he's the only guy that I really love on that Bears team. 100%. Yeah, totally agree. I mean, his, his, uh, the run of quarterbacks he's played with in college in the NFL is just tragic for a guy that's so so talented. Um, it's really frustrating. I mean, I think he's good enough to overcome that, whoever's at quarterback this year, but uh, it's still, it, it caps his ceiling a little bit, I think. I think he's still, it could potentially be a back-end wide receiver one, but I am still concerned. As I said, that quarterback situation is just complete mess so I'd I'd rather avoid it where possible um, if we move on then to the question we've asked all of our guests uh, Dan so far and it's a question that I have noticed actually on Twitter over the last few weeks um, has been starting to be discussed more now we're entering redraft season and startup season is pretty much over and this is a question that many people posed last year um, in season and at the immediate end of the season, now it's starting to ramp back up. So what we're asking, this to be fair, I think we have every guest apart from one has, has agreed with me and Kev. So um, the only question here is, who would you prefer out of Miles Sanders or Josh Jacobs? I love this question, by the way. Yeah, I do. <laughs> it feels so on the spot, like I'm letting one member of the team down here. You know, I don't, I don't want to answer, but... You know, and it's against my beliefs as a Cowboys fan, as, as I put in the show notes there. But it, I do like Josh Jacobs, but for fantasy football, I can't go there. I, I think Miles Sanders is definitely the answer. He's, he's ninth in my rankings where Jacobs is 15th. And it's as much to do with what the, you know, the Eagles offense is doing versus yeah. what the Raiders say they are doing with all these backs they're signing. Uh, I don't think Jacobs is going to get the pass catching work to be as valuable as Miles Sanders. So like them both, but Sanders higher, unfortunately. Yeah, I mean, we we both. Uh, this is actually one where me and Kev do both agree. So we, I have Miles Sanders by an absolute mile um, at this point. I, I wrote, an, yeah, <laughs> an absolute miles. Uh, it was much closer earlier in the off season, but as we talked about in the last show, for me, I'm, I'm with you, Dan. Uh, the gap's just getting bigger for me. I mean, I I actually was having a conversation with someone on Twitter earlier today, and I am a huge advocate for running back heavy. Um, this season in redraft and potentially in dynasty startups and like to the point where I won't really consider any other strategy but um, the, the most damning thing I can say from my view on Jacobs at this point is I would rather take a wide receiver than Jacobs in the first round so Kev I mean you you I think it's pretty sim pretty easy to suggest that you'll agree with this still yeah I love 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 this um, I've got Sanders projected Pretty high, actually. RB7 and Jacobs at RB14 just for this season. So, fully on board with what Dan said there. And yep. it, I, I do feel a bit tight asking that question to a Cowboys fan. But, <laughs> um, you said quite... to me off air that you wanted to rub it in. 
<laughs> no comment. <laughs> so we'll move on then. So now we're really putting you on the spot, Dan, with the final part of the show, which is your reputake. So this is a hot take uh, that you would gamble your reputation on being correct in the 2020 NFL season. You know, I can't be that high on Dak and not go with his number one target. Yes. And uh, I am a big Amari Cooper guy. And I like being on record for this one, too, because I'm hearing so many people say, you know, Michael Gallup's better than Cooper or, you know, now C.D. Lamb is going to be C.D. Lamb's team. And, I mean, you watch these games. I mean, Amari Cooper, 25 years young, all right? He's just entering his prime. He is in a dream situation going into 20 and 21. Um, he's got the age, the size, the speed, the route running. And he's a high-character guy. I mean, he just plays football. You know, the only concern long-term, you know, that plantar fasciitis, if I pronounce that right there, that foot, foot that bothers him a little bit. He did play through energy last year. He says he knows how to play through it. Um, so long-term, that's in the back of my mind. I want to try not to put my Cowboys blinders on too much. Uh, <laughs> but I just think he's a premier number one receiver. Um, I have in all my dynasty leagues, only one league I do not have him because one guy just refuses to trade him to me. <laughs> uh, no, no matter how much I, you know, try to overpay, I – and I won't overpay as much right now. Um, but I, I just think he's the clear number one in Dallas. You know, I think Gallup is very talented. I think C.D. Lamb could take over, if not this year, by next year as the number two in Dallas. But I think Cooper is clearly the number one guy. And, you know, Jerry's paid a lot to show that he's the number one guy and will make sure that ball is in his hands. So it's Dak to Cooper all year this year. And it's great because you can't double team him. You know, that's the benefit of having yeah. Michael Gallup and C.D. Lamb and Blake Jarwin and then Zeke in the backfield. I mean, Dallas has a great luxury, and they can beat you in many ways. Um, but one-on-one, -on -one, I'm taking Amari Cooper all day. So that's where my reputation is, guys. I'm staying on the Cooper train. I'm also on the Cooper train. Um, Kev, is there anything you want to add to that? Because I've just found one. I think I'm a, like a closet Cowboys fan, to be fair, because I agree on all Dan's Cowboys takes. So I'm not going to add anything because I'm just going to repeat what Dan said. Is there, is there any counter-argument from you, Kevin Amari Cooper? I've just got one question, really, and that's uh, the, the one guy that won't trade you, Amari Cooper, is it Rich? <laughs> <laughs> he is not in that league, no, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> I actually, I'm not going. I won't get into it now. I actually traded Amari Cooper away this off season in one league, but it made sense for my roster at the time. But other than that, I'm very reluctant to to let him go. I mean, part of the trade that I, I can't remember who I got. I won't go into it. I can't remember. I talked myself into it and then regretted it instantly. But then it sort of made sense. I don't know. I'm turning this into a farce at the end of the show again. So, <laughs> <laughs> like every week. So that's brought us to the end of the show. Um, just want to say thank you to Dan. You've been an absolutely fantastic guest. Cheers, Dan. Um, do, do you want to let our listeners know where they can find all, all the great work that you're doing? Yeah, I appreciate it. Thank you guys for having me. This was an absolute blast. Um, you know, I said hearing good things about you guys in the U.S., so you, you definitely didn't disappoint. We'll keep spreading the word. Um, you can find me on the Dynasty Theory podcast on YouTube or FF Coach Dan on Twitter. Uh, Saturday, July 11th, I'm excited to be a part of uh, the Mental Health Face-Off pod, Podathon. I know they have some big names on there. Matthew Berry's going to be on there, and it raises awareness for mental illness. Oh, I get to share a story of a gentleman named Charlie Wysocki. He was the all-time leading rusher. He's second now all-time leading rusher at the University of Maryland. Lives in my area here. Uh, has been a coach on a lot of my football staff, so I'm excited to share a little bit of his story. And um, other than that, you know, you said find me on Twitter with the Dynasty, and I think later this offseason – 
I'm going to be doing a DFS show with uh, Justin from the Father Son podcast. So branching out a little bit there. Awesome. Perfect. That is fantastic. Got- do you just do. You, sorry, Kev, Dan. Do you just want to let everyone know your your Twitter at? Since I got it so horrifically wrong. Yeah, FF Coach at Twitter. That FFs for fantasy football, and then the coaches. I've been a coach for many years, so FF Coach at Twitter. Awesome. Yeah. I'll- I was just going to say, Dan, if you're doing a DFS show, I've got one tip, and it's to avoid Jags in DFS. (laughs) I think he knows that already. (laughs) It's cemented in his brain, trust me. Many many tears. Uh, So that has brought us to the end of the show. Uh, Once again, thanks to Dan, who has been an absolutely fantastic guest. And as usual, thanks to my co-host, Kev. Kev, you got any plans for the evening? I'm just going to try and grind out some Scott Fishball stats I think and try and come up with some sort of strategy because um, don't have one. <laughs> I don't have one yet <laughs> yeah I might do the same I might do the same or I might just wing it which has been such a successful strategy in the past um, alright so that's brought us to the end of the show thanks again to Dan thanks to Kev and we'll see you all soon thank you Dan Ta-da. thanks gentlemen appreciate it Do you have what it takes to beat the British ballers at fantasy football? Do you want to play in a unique league combining redraft and best ball? Do you want the chance to be a guest on our podcast? We bring you the 2020 British Ballers Listener League. See our pin tweet on Twitter at British underscore ballers for further details. Applications to be in by Saturday the 18th of July for a chance at playing. Thank you and good luck. <laughs>